Previously on Morons of the Multiverse, Derek and Mike talked about how much they love Peter Parker, ranging from the portrayal by Andrew Garfield, Toby McGuire, and of course their personal favorite, and definitely the best, Tom Holland. They talked about the things that make Peter great, they talked about other things, and now you get to listen to the thrilling conclusion of that conversation as Derek and Mike continue to jabber on about how cool Peter Parker is. Oh my god, he pulled you off? I get it. She has flips and stuff. If we say that, they won't keep listening. Morons of the Let's talk about Ned Leeds. Our boy Ned Leeds. This character has some comic history, but isn't is certainly not as close to Peter's life in the comics as he is in this stretch of films. But I thought it was really clever that this stretch of films abandoned him having Harry Osborn as a best friend again. Yep. Because we needed him to be a person who could appreciate what, like, would appreciate what wealth could provide for him and could appreciate and respect the value of money. And as having a billionaire best friend, you don't really get that as much. Or you get it from a different lens. And not in a way where, like, I don't know, I always felt with, um, you know, with Harry that, like, there was this implication that if, you know, if Peter wanted that money or needed money, he probably could have asked for it. Um, and you never get that with this iteration of Peter at all with any of the people that he's around. Um, where I guess even if it was implied that he could be like, yo, Tony, you know, don't have a whole lot of money for rent or anything. You hook a brother up. That wouldn't even be a conversation you could ever imagine. It's actually kind of messed up that like, MJ and Peter have any level of poverty left after Tony comes along. How'd Tony not just, like, break her off a couple mil and be like, yo, you're set, baby girl. I just think that he couldn't. I mean, I guess. Even, like, he gave He gave Peter a pair of glasses that were a multi-billion dollar program. Yeah, but you could just give him a couple milli instead. But that's not teaching him anything. Here you go. Look, here's a bunch of money, bro. Yeah, look, here's the here's the deal. The whole catch a fish adage is bullshit. You know what's a lot makes fishing a lot easier? Having a nice full stomach. Or having a big bunch of fish yeah. that were just placed into your cooler. Yeah, you got a bunch of fish. It's awesome. <laughs> Somebody's just like, here, dog, yeah. here's a bunch of fish. Here's a bunch of fish. Fuck yes. Yeah, and all you did is get you got drunk all day. But see, that's not all he did, though. He saved the world like three times by that point. The government owes him money. Let's go with that. Yeah, someone owes May and Peter Parker some ducats. That's my major point. I don't disagree that Peter should be living in poverty after saving the world multiple times, or even just saving his city multiple times. But 
that I digress. Yeah, um, fair enough. I mean, it's good that he doesn't have the money. He gets to develop into a more complete human and yada, 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 character development and stuff, blah, blah, blah. But, like... <laughs> yeah, I think he, just, he deserves some chatter. That's, that's the grander... That's the, the broken-down point there, I suppose. He well, deserves some chatter. What do you need so much chatter for when you have friends like Ned Leeds? That's an excellent point, sir. You get Ned Leeds going out, buying a giant Lego Death Star... Ready to get down, fumbles the whole thing as you crawl into your room on the ceiling, and then just wants to, can I wear the suit? Yeah. And then, yeah, proceeds to ask him a bunch of crazy questions, including, do you lay eggs? (laughs) I forgot about that. No, I don't. I don't. I don't lay eggs. I forgot about, do you lay eggs? That was a good one. (laughs) That was a very good one. But Ned is great from start to finish. Like, I like him a lot in Far From Home, where he gets into the, the goofy relationship with the girl on the plane. Betty. Yeah, but and he just falls into this whole like super like <laughs> high school tropey relationship with this girl for like a couple days, and it's just so perfectly Ned. Like oh, it's so Ned. You just, I love it. Gets on the plane with the ambition of being a bachelor in Paris. Yes. And by the time they land, has a girlfriend. Yes. And then by the time they arrive home, no longer has a girlfriend. No, but they're still friends. But they're still friends, which is great. Yeah. Way to be Ned. Very mature lad. But that's Ned in general, like, his, he shines the most when he's being super goofy, or, like, him trying to be coy about what's going on with Spider-Man and, like, you know, the the Night Monkey is, it's amazing because it's so see-through hey, from a, from our monkey. perspective. Like, from our perspective, we're, we're just sitting there like, yeah, he absolutely is just wrecking this. She should know what he's talking about. <laughs> know what's going on. But they yeah. don't. No, they don't. Um, one moment that really shows what an iconic level friend Ned is is when he gets to exercise his first opportunity is the guy in the chair and oh, yeah. the principal barges in and he claims to be watching porn. I was watching porn. <laughs> Legendary friend. He like, just, he's what just, a friend. Yeah, he just, took one for the team there. One for the team, and she didn't. She didn't look like she believed him at all, which is the best part. She did not believe the porn lie at all. <laughs> no. no, that was a bad lie. Which but. is funny because he's doing something far worse. Um, I mean, not is that, that worse though. It's. I don't think it's illegal. Um, yeah, you got me there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I'm not really. I, I don't know. That's whatever. Um, but yeah, Ned really holds it down. The first time is the guy in the chair. That's great. But the fact that he just refers to himself to, as the guy in the chair very funny is is beautiful. It's it's just more that's of a what Nedism. a teenager would do. Yeah, it, like you find out your best friend's a superhero. Oh, you're he gonna want to be like his sidekick for sure, right? Ned's a ride or die. Yeah. That's, dude, that part. Like, I put myself in, into our youth, and I'm like, if you come to me one day and you're like, yo. Check it out. I got all these superheroes. And we're like 15. I want to be your sidekick for sure. Like, I'm figuring out something I can do to help your cause where I can be your sidekick. So that's... That so I totally get it from Ned. Leads me to the latter part of his... <laughs> leads. Yeah, leads. It, Ned leads me to <laughs> um, the latter part and No Way Home, back to where I started crying, um, was thinking about Ned's love for Peter. Um, his friendship with Peter um, is so special and it is a beautiful thing. And to believe, just to think about putting yourself in the perspective of A, being somebody who doesn't remember 
um, that you had that kind of relationship before. And then, you know, A, going back to Peter's perspective where it's like, I have to live the rest of my life remembering that I had the best, one of the best friends you can possibly have in the entire world. And I'll have none of those memories of me. And he'll have none of those memories of me. And I have to see him. You know, that's that's an absolutely unbearable thought. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's like watching somebody die. Honestly. It's it's worse than watching someone die because... Because I mean, you get to, finality. Yeah, you get like the... Because then they have to live in the remnants of their former life. They have to live with hints of a former existence around them without being able to embrace any of them. Right. It's, uh, it's almost like being a walking ghost. But yeah, that killed me. We get these uh, little breadcrumbs in there as well that maybe Neb might be a little bit more than what we what we sure. thought, which can be co- confusing because at the end, like I said, if Ned doesn't know Peter anymore, does that he doesn't? What happens with all of that? No, of course. I mean, he won't. Could be nothing. Having done any of that, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially because he first uses the sling ring successfully. Looking for Peter Parker, so like he would obviously never have done so. Right. So yes, that. Um, <clears throat> on that note, that's definitely one of the. That's actually the thing about No Way Home. I nitpick harder than just about anything else. It's just is the that ease at which Ned Leeds is able to use a sling ring and when it takes Stephen Strange being pushed to like the brink of death in an icy like hellscape to finally after like weeks of training in a ditch so he trains for weeks and then he still can't open a portal with the sling ring until his life is on the line and he's pushed to the brink of death by the ancient one and ned Leeds is like hey where's peter parker and like flips his arms around a couple weird ways and a portal opens yeah like now granted again as, as this didn't take away from my enjoyment of the film no. because the story was good the moment still lands for me but it's one of those things that I do think about every time I watch the movie. How the the simplicity at which Ned Leeds is able to do something that our future Sorcerer Supreme, or at the time we thought would be Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme, before we find out he actually falls short to our guy Wong. Shout out Sorcerer Supreme Wong. Wong. Uh, that's a highlight of the film of that of No Way Home, by the way, is finding out that Wong, on a technicality, is in fact Sorcerer Supreme because Stephen was gone for five years. Hell yeah, Wong. You deserve it. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag you deserve it. Hashtag season of Wong. Hashtag season of Wong. Which is every day. Which is all seasons. Yeah. Yeah. He is an all seasons man. He is an all seasons man. <laughs> he's wonderful. I love him. Oh, God, he's great. But, yeah, so that is a thing that, on that little side note about Ned, that, that does, as one of those plot points that does jump out at me a little bit. Yeah, and especially because, like, you know that it's kind of abysmal when you're the watching. Only, the only hint we get is, oh, my abuela says that... We've got something special in our genes. I could tell that I was really trying to push it with that one because I'm like watching uh, Far From Home. No, it was Homecoming. Um, and Ned gets one of, gets a hold of one of Peter's blasters and he, you know, shoots Shocker at yeah. the time. And I'm like, oh, that, you know, see there. Th-. Oh, and then I was like, wait, it's just his blaster. Yes, I mean, gadget. he just had to aim yeah. and shoot. So, yeah, that's yeah, not. Just I'm just trying to make just, things here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that that is one. Love my boy Ned, and still love that moment in No Way Home. But it doesn't does, bother me. It does stick out a little bit to me when I'm just like, 
the the ease at which he's able to execute things that we were previously led to be believed to be very complicated magic is a little bit of like a head tilter but it was a necessary thing for the plot and it work it works well enough in the moment and it leads to great scenes so overall it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of the film it's just something that always stands out to me when i watch into a lesser note and this will kind of round out my you know my uh, list of important people that I came up with here that I thought were the most integral. Stephen Stephen Strange, I think, is starting to be a little bit more towards, you know, gearing towards Peter um, as of late, especially, obviously, in No Way Home. He had a Was. huge effect. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, within that movie, they go through a lot together um, in both of their, you know, misgivings, I would say. Peter for the request, uh, Stephen Strange for being arrogant enough to actually try it and do it without actually doing the right thing like Tony would have, putting on the kid's gloves and being, look, 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 kid, I'm not doing this. Yeah, this is um, a terrible idea. This is an awful idea. I just told you it was an awful idea. Wong just told you it was an awful idea. Yeah, nope. Wong saying it's a bad <clears throat> idea should always be enough motive to not do the thing. Usually. Trust in Wong, people. Always. It was right there. He gave you advice, sage advice, from the Sorcerer Supreme, and you didn't take it. No, they punted on that one. Punt, big punt. Big yeah, punt. It was a bad, bad idea. But as the movie moves on, you know, again, even after they don't agree with what's going on, how to do it, um, in the resolve, they figure out what is best and... Peter learns a very valuable lesson from... A, th- a thing that I love about No Way Home is that, much like I mentioned, Peter is able to teach the other Peters a lesson as well while being their much younger variant. He's able to teach Stephen Strange a lesson. Yeah. And a big one. Well, in, in that's... And he, he really surprises him when, when Stephen escapes his essential uh, dimension prison uh, when, he, <laughs> when he escapes his math prison we'll call it a math prison because that's really what happened he, he got defeated by math and uh, when, when Steven escapes his math prison he comes to find out that Peter's idea worked yep. uh, the villains he sought to reform have been reformed yep. and seeing the best in someone and trying to help their cause was able to work after all. It didn't have to go straight to like, they died in this other dimension, so they have to die here. Yeah. And uh, that was a really gripping lesson that I think, I think we're going to see the continued ramifications of Steven learning that lesson in Multiverse of Madness coming up. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I Because I, I think there's going to be a time when it seems he, a person is going to have to be put down. And I think he's going to have to take this moment to heart. Yeah, I think... Although, here's a question. Not even a question, it's a statement. He won't remember this moment. This is a lesson that goes unlearned. This is a, this is a lesson learnt in a moment that disappears. But if it plays ramifications on what happens or what unfurls within that because of what he did, I'm sure he's going to figure out or find out somehow how he did that. Sure, he'll find out how he did it again, but he won't find out about what Peter did in response to him doing that. He won't find out about Peter setting those villains straight and all of those microcosms of the story. It's fair. 
One, I mean, one has to imagine at least. He certainly won't remember any of his interactions with Peter, so which is where those lessons come from. So that's interesting. That's a that's a layer of No Way Home that all of the other characters who obtained character growth in that film, a lot of it gets undone. Yeah, a lot of that character growth just gets completely <clears throat> undone as a process. Um. Which I guess, you know, again, kind of underscores Stephen Strange kind of being towards the latter part of that, uh, whether you're looking at it as, you know, Peter learning a lesson through Stephen making that mistake or what. Um, I still think that he did play a pretty big, pretty big role in how our character ended up at the end of where we're at currently. Yeah. Um, and he glossed over, we well, we glossed over... Tony and Happy, which we can kind of talk about in tandem, because I think their effect on Peter is similar. Uh, Happy, Happy kind of is, at first, the intermediary between he and Tony, and then eventually becomes kind of the replacement for Tony. And I think the way that they execute that is well done across Homecoming and Far From Home. They, yeah, they make him come across as somewhere in between the fun uncle and a, um, you know, uh, maybe a parent's best friend. Um, yeah, like, his, like a godfather yeah, like, type. Yeah, exactly, a godfather, somewhere along there. Um, but that's how Happy takes that role. It only just so happens to be that he kindles this relationship between Aunt May and him, um, which kind of... Oh, poor Happy. Yeah, which really just only serves unhappiness to happy there but happy just taking punches on the chin left and right when peter comes to him talking about how he sees tony's face and every or everywhere that he goes um he's having trouble living up to what tony is um and happy gives him the advice look tony didn't even live up to his own expectations tony screwed up all the time he's like you yeah it's like you know why he picked you right like, and it's this, un, maybe for me, it, this unexpected moment that really gets me watering up, man, because, like, that's where you start to see, as much as you've never seen them before, parallels between Peter Parker and Tony Stark. So you start to see that payoff see there, parallels, too. And on, on the adverse, you see the parallels between Happy and Tony. And you see the ways in which those two are much of the same cloth. Even if Happy is a very different person from Tony, largely, Happy is still going to live on as a continuation of Tony in terms of his mindset and care for Peter and his uh, identity and uh, mirroring of becoming Tony. I like to think that they took the best parts of Tony with them when Tony went away. Like, they both take care of the things that Tony would have wanted them to take care of. And I think that that's an admirable quality between the two of them. But, like I said, it shows how deeply in, or ingrained Happy Hogan is into this Peter Parker. He really becomes, like you said, kind of that second father figure to him. Um, somebody to be there. And, you know, when Peter needs that reassurance, you know, hey... Things get hard, man, but I'm gonna I'm I'm here for you. And it's like it tears you apart. It really does. The 
happy Hogan moment at the end of the movie is the least happy thing I can think of. I just want Happy to have a good life after this. That's I it. don't want Happy to have to deal with anything more stressful. I want him to find a nice lady and have a sweet existence and just like be truly at peace. Happy deserves that at this point. He's Do, been through so much. Or run into Agent Mobius and like they're both like oh, they go ski doing enthu- yeah, yeah, they're like jet ski enthusiasts. Yeah, that'd be cool. And they're just like best friends and shit. And they just like live on their dude, I'd watch I would watch a fucking spin-off <laughs> of that. Um, happy and Mobius. That's happy and Mobius. Wow. Um I would love just live that. at a beach house. But yeah, no, just a perfect send off. Um, you can even throw Colson in there. I, I don't care. Um, LMD Colson. Yeah, dude, I'd love it. But Hashtag that, Agent of Seal spoiler. Yes, but that's that's where you know where I leave off on all of that. I mean, do you have any further? Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we've covered the bases of what's important about Happy. Uh, the only thing that I would say about Tony that we didn't really brush across in terms of importance to Peter Parker is we we grazed into all the ways that Peter idolized Tony and really wanted to be a superhero like him and all those different things. But I think it's of note, much like I referenced with Tom Holland's Peter Parker in No Way Home and the lessons he teaches these older people there, the things that our Tony Stark learns from Peter Parker through Civil War into Homecoming and through Infinity War into Endgame. Peter changes Tony more than any of the other Avengers do. The only person who has a greater impact on who Tony becomes is Pepper Potts. Yep. And you know what I'm going to say about that. And that's it's the it. most like any and maybe <clears throat> Steve Rogers, but like those are like the three people that really in, impact change on Tony are those three people: Steve Rogers, Peter Parker, and number one, of course, being Pepper Potts. Well, and to that, Rhodey and Happy to a lesser degree, but they're more just like his good friends that just have his back through thick, through thin. They're just his. His bodies that got his back, but they don't really impact change in his character in the arc of Tony Stark in the way that Peter or Steve do. And if you ask any parent, you know, if they've learned more from their kids or if their kids have learned more from them, most of them will tell you that you learn more from your kids than you do from yourself or from anybody else. Um, and I think that that rings true here, too. It really plays more of that father-son dynamic, especially as you get towards the end of it. Yeah. Um, and that's it's invaluable to Peter both of them. Peter is the only reason that Tony's willing to put his mind to it and solve time travel in three minutes. Correct. Because that's his, yeah, that's his other kid. Yeah. Which is, here, here's a question for you. Which is more wild? Tony Stark solving time travel in three minutes... Or Ned Leeds learning to use a sling ring in three minutes. Ned Leeds learning to use a sling ring in three minutes. Yeah, mo- that one is more absurd. I agree. But that is kind of close. That's it's- actually like one of my few uh, nitpicks in Endgame is when I, when I get to Tony just being like, what if we flip this inverted thing? That works? Holy shit, my first idea worked. 
And then he has to give, uh, then he has to give her popsicles, and then we get "I love you 3000 and all is better. Because I'm just like, oh my god, I love you three thousand too, Ken. <laughs> if you're really that smart, though, as they claim Tony Stark to be, I mean, we have to keep this in perspective. Dan- of course, Thanos knows who he is, and Tony is, by all means, a very smart human, but he is a human. Right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody in the universe is going to take somebody seriously that is just a human. Let's be real here. Right. Even at our smartest, they're not what Tony no, Stark it's actually the is. Tony Stark, well, and Tony Stark is more than just an intelligent human, and so and like he's more than the billionaire. He's more than the Iron Man suit. He's more than the genius. He's all of those things combined. It's the bravado combined with the brilliance yeah. that make Tony Stark as formidable of an opponent for intergalactic baddies as he is. Yeah, I mean, he has that extra component. He's not just, uh, I guess you could say, like a common senseless genius. You know, he's got all of those traits as well. So it really does make him that much more of an adversary for the baddies, for that matter. Does indeed. But, yeah, that covers the last thoughts I had on the people that have impacted our Peter. And we've dove deep into his arc through these films. We've dove deep into the things we love about these films. I want to wrap this podcast up on the note of where we would like to see this Peter in the coming years. Um, And more specifically, I'll frame it this way. What year... So this is in our calendar year, not in the MCU timeline, because that's getting... I I think that the pandemic is giving them an easier way to get the timeline closer to our current timeline. I don't think they want to stay five years ahead of us. No. And that's evident in the way that Hawkeye is now only two years in front of where we're at. Hawkeye is Christmas 2023. So, like, same with Spider-Man No Way Home is shortly after that, I think. So we're now where we were five years behind the MCU timeline. We're now only two. And I have a feeling by the end of this year, we'll be only one. Like we got blipped. Yeah, which is like, and that's fine. Like, I think they were going to do this regardless. And the pandemic just gives them a shorter window to have to collapse than it would have been before. But I think this was a plan regardless, which I'm fine with. And let's say in our calendar year, not the MCU timeline year, I will ask two questions. What year do you first want to see Peter Parker return? And give me some project ideas. Give me give me a couple of things you'd like to see our Peter Parker doing whenever we see him again. All right. First, uh, to answer your question uh, about what year, I'm thinking much further on than what what I guess seems reasonable right now. But I'm thinking more of along the lines of like a 2026. Um, yeah, I'd say about 2026. And I think what I want to see is and this is gonna sound silly because at some point i think we're gonna get deadpool in this thing and i would like to see an older a little bit more grizzled uh peter parker in his interactions with somebody like that um especially if uh deadpool is playing on like one of these like you know real anti-hero or things going on he's really destroying a lot of parts of the city things like that causing a lot of commotion um, I'd like to see something like that to be some, where he kind of comes back in. Um, and then, you know, wherever that falls in the line of like a Miles Morales story, 
Um, I know that we've got little hints of that to begin with, but I, I'd like to see that furthered as well um, and have Tom Holland, you know, reprise his role as more of, of again, a mentor character, honestly. That's kind of that's in the vein of where I'm at. I, um, I too, want it to be a handful of years. It's time. We alluded to it earlier. Tom Holland is in his mid-approaching late 20s. Playing a seventeen-year-old, yeah, and uh, that, and luckily, he made it through all this, and he looked young enough the whole time that it all worked. But now, we give him a few years away, and we bring him back in twenty twenty-six, twenty twenty-seven. I have twenty twenty-seven written down in my notes, but we're in like similar window of time here. Uh, split the difference and call it a, a Christmas twenty twenty-six release. Spider-Man's kind of like Batman. You're never going to go that long without seeing it. Correct. And I still, because I believe this is still a contractual obligated thing, I believe we still have a Tom Holland appearance left in one of these Sony-verse films eventually. I believe that that is something that was like part of his last contract that is like the last thing we haven't seen yet, which I just I, I think is Morbius, but like maybe uh-huh. it's all a bait and switch and we're going to wind up with Garfield Morbius. I don't get, care much about the we're Venomverse. We're going to get Mobius and Mobius. We'll, we'll, Morbius. we'll deal with the Venomverse in small, digestible bites across the future, but today is not one of those days. <laughs> I still haven't seen Let There Be Carnage. I'm going to watch it whenever it's finally free on a streaming service, but I refused to spend a penny on that movie. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to like go to work and earn an income and then go somewhere and spend per- any percentage of that income on that film. I just couldn't I couldn't fathom that idea. I did do that and it was horrible. Yeah. No, <clears throat> no you seeing it and regretting it was the final nail in the coffin of any chance there was I was going to see it because it was already low. And then when you reported badly, I was like, "Okay, I'll just wait a while on yeah. this one. That's fine." If if you're going to watch it, yeah, I'd like I tell anybody, yeah, save your money and wait it out. It's uh Yeah, I'll just watch it for free eventually. It's like meth, not even once. I uh, see. Yeah, math not even once, but this movie I need to see once, just for my own sake, no matter how bad. Um, but no, where, I, where I'd like to see Tom Holland. I would like to see Tom Holland around 2026, 2027. By this point, he's a doctorate student. Maybe he's working for his version of Dr. Octavius. Maybe it's the same Dr. Octavius we got in, uh, in No Way Home slash Spider-Man 2. Maybe. Um so it's technically a variant of his, but like he's working for his Earth's variant of Dr. Octavius in a lab or a Dr. Connors in a lab. So he's a graduate doctor, doctorate level student somewhere in that range, uh, working hard, as a, trying to make it as a scientist. I want to see more of that side. Like I want to see us land in a Spider-Man who... A, a realm where Spider-Man's been kicking ass and saving New York City for a handful of years and more side questy things that we didn't see in any movies because they haven't been made in a while. He's older. He's a graduate or doctorate student, as I mentioned, maybe working for some famous person that he's worked with throughout the comics in a lab, being all scientist-y. I'm honestly pretty inspired by the Spider-Man video game and some of the things I'd like to see. What I want to see is one more trilogy of Tom Holland. Oof. And in that trilogy, we meet a young Miles Morales in like the second film of the three. 
and we see that Miles gain his powers in the third of those three, and that film is used as a kind of passing the torch, and we get our live-action Miles taking over from Tom Holland's Peter in the sixth one there. And then, if they want to be so bold, in the mid-2030s, we can get, like, an older, grizzled Tom Holland. Right. Which answers, you know, one of my questions, which was, you know, do you think they should shelve him for a while? And I think we both unanimously yes. said yes, as you can kind of tell with our answers there. But I don't think that you're going to see him for a bit. Um, it's if, a combination. He's openly said that there's other projects that he's got in line and that he, does, he's, yeah. that he doesn't have uh, an interest in doing it right now. There's just not... You, you get that oversaturation. I don't think that he's oversaturated here. No. I really don't think you can get enough of this character, but... Um, I but do, to be fair, he's done six films in right. eight years, or six films in like seven years. I do believe that much like, you know, Tony Stark, I don't know that Spider-Man needs to die. Um, I just think that, you know, Spider-Man can take a little bit of, you know, a little seat on the shelf for yeah. a little bit, let things ruminate, and then kind of restart him in let a couple of years. Age up. Yeah. Let the character age up. He can just, we can not see him on screen for four years and have the character age up nine years in that time. And then the character suddenly in his early to mid-20s while Tom Holland's like 29, 30. Right. And like, that's great. Actors have been doing that for centuries. 30-year-olds have been playing 23-year-olds for centuries, for forever. And so that's fine. That'll work. But uh, yeah, that it's the combination of letting the actor age into the role a bit more and just giving time and space for uh, a reset as this Peter Parker adjusts into this new life he has. Absolutely. Do you think we see Zendaya and Ned Leeds return? Do we do we see MJ and Ned Leeds return? Do we see, uh, are they kind of just not a part of his life anymore? And that is a really good question because I could see them rewriting them back you know him going and like hanging out with them or trying to make attempts to be around them and until it forges and naturally happens but i don't you can't tap back into the well that you've already just gone to no so uh, not even just i don't think i don't i uh, on that edge i don't know that they can it's possible that they never do uh it's also possible that they chose to go with someone who's not technically Mary Jane Watson and chose to go with not a Harry Osborn because the end game was always this separation and now he'll go into the world and meet a Mary Jane or a Gwen Stacy and become friends with a Harry Osborn and like maybe he's going to fall more into the more traditional Spider-Man surrounding characters with this reset of his entire life. Maybe. And that depends all entirely on kind of what we rely on how long is the mcu gonna go for you know how long can they pull this thing out i mean you're talking about we're talking four or five years down the road um you could first appearance and i'm talking about a full trilogy trilogy, and then a gap of time and then another appearance or two so yeah yeah with the amount of content in these comics and everything like that i mean you could spend decades doing this spent decades yeah oh totally no, there's, without a doubt, decades of material. We still don't have X-Men and Fantastic Four and, like, That's, all these things technically even in our wheelhouse yet. So, like, the, there's still so much to come that are prime and important characters. That'll Think change. Think about this moment. 
we're down the road several years. You can, they can get to a point where they took the name Civil War for Captain America Civil War, but that was nothing like the comic book run, the heavily acclaimed comic book run Civil War. They can get to a point where they can literally do Civil War. Yeah. And then you can get to a point where you get to do the iconic moment from Civil War where Peter Parker unmasks in a press conference and Spider-Man outs himself voluntarily. And how much more power does that carry after having gone through all of these events of these six films we're talking about emphasized by No Way Home and all that that brought to us? And how it, much more powerful is that comic book press conference moment with all of this? And leaving on another Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, that would be huge. Like, because that, that comic run is so well heralded, and obviously Marvel, one thing that they're continuing to do with Secret Wars coming up, and or I'm sorry, Secret Invasion technically coming up, but of course we all assume building towards Secret Wars sometime down the road. Correct. With some of these major comic book runs they, att- they plan to attempt in the coming years, why shouldn't we get to that point? Even if it's not done in another, like, quote-unquote civil war, use elements of that story for inspiration, because that's what they do. It's, they cherry-pick now. It's no longer strictly, oh, we're, we're adapting X comic book into a movie. It's, we're adapting these dozen things, the cherry-picked parts of them we like the most, and building our own cohesive story. Yeah, which is the part that I think that we love the most about this, is exactly that, that freedom to be able to kind of go out and make your own out of, you know, different pieces and parts that you like. And, I mean, at at the heart of it, isn't that what we love about comics? It is. It's true. Give me, in conclusion, one Spider-Man dream villain that we've never seen yet. Dream villain for Spider-Man. It sucks because we've had so many good ones so far. Let me rephrase. Never seen in live action. Well, I mean, all of those are, God, you're talking about, I mean, all of them so far have been in live action. They've really pulled out the guns on that one. Um, you might have gotten me on this one. Craven would be the only one that I would say. And, and it's getting ruined by its own solo movie in the so- Sony-verse. Wah, wah, wah. And that's the whole shitty part of it and why I didn't even want to mention it because I know it's going to get ruined for me as soon as it happens, but if you were to give me one, I guess that hasn't been done. Sure. Because I think they've taken all the ones that I really like, like that I really, really wanted to see anyways. Like Green Goblin, that's, that's uh, honestly, if you just give me that alone, I would sure. be totally fine, but... Um, the fact that we got a meaningful Mysterio, that was a really fun. Vulture, honestly, was one of the best uh, villains in the MCU, period, for me. Um, I think we both have agreed oh, on he's, that. He's an upper echelon <laughs> all-time MCU villain, for sure. And so even if I were to say, like, you know, other villains that are, you know, even better known than Vulture, or uh, even lesser known, for that matter, um, his <laughs> his uh, performance in that is just overshadowed so, so many other ones. I mean, Spider-Man has to take on Thanos and shit like that. That doesn't leave a whole lot of options no. on the table. I've, I've got two for you, and one is kind of, and one half breaks the rules of this question, but you mentioned Green Goblin, so that's fair. I want to see a better take at Rhino. Yeah, no, see, I... The I, two I, scenes of Paul Giamatti we got in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's nonsense. I want to... See, you know what needs to happen? So, in X3, we got the worst juggernaut, 
I'm the juggernaut bitch. Okay, the, like we we love it because we love that terrible quote. We like making fun of this movie. So that's the thing that I know you and I both happen to enjoy, but that we both openly acknowledge is very bad. It's horrible. And then Deadpool two comes along, and we get the uh, and yeah. gives us an iconic juggernaut. Great, and juggernaut. it's much more simple, but it's menacing and terrifying. <laughs> awesome. Give me that with Rhino. Yeah. Give me a Rhino like the Juggernaut wasn't that. I think it's hard. And like that would be so entertaining to me. I think it's hard with Rhino just because he's got a very specific set of skills, and he does like have a very specific set of. It skills. It seems a very very specific set of skills for somebody that's as smart as Peter to not have to worry about very hard. Um, you know, oh here you know here he goes wrecking cars and buildings and. I think he's a really cool character, and he has a very special. Oh, I'm not trait, saying I need him to yeah. be like the villain of an no, entire no, no, film. No, no, I get it. I just I want a it. better version of Rhino. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say it. Just yeah, if he's in that Sin Six, that's yeah. I just, I just want a better version of Rhino yeah. than the one we've gotten so far. Which is a shame because I love Paul Giamatti as an actor. Yeah, that just it just was bad writing in that one, as we Weird mentioned. Casting, but, as and well, then but... then my villain that we haven't seen in live action <laughs> that I would just. Be so thrilled to see the black cat. Interesting, yeah. Especially because there, there's so much history between she and Peter Parker romantically, and we're now at a single Peter Parker again. So picture this. As a, so picture this. Here's my here's my pitch for you. It's 2027. We're getting a Peter Parker late in his college career, as we talked about. He's been Spider Maning for years, and we kind of get a little like show at the beginning that shows that, that he's been active at it this whole time and some of these villains have come and gone. Maybe we see a little montage action. Cut to him out on a date with beautiful black-haired woman, blonde-haired woman, depending if she which black cat adaption we're going with, etc. Having a nice time in Peter form. And then... He goes out in Spider-Man form, and he's on her trail. It'd be fun. What a fun 15 minutes to start a Spider-Man movie. And it would be an uh, entirely different experience with Tom Holland. Massively different experience, villain-wise, than anything he's come across so far. You can even have her, and again, like the way that she's used in the comics is so varied. You can have her being... An anti-hero of sorts. You can have her be right. a full-scale villain. You can have her not really be his problem in this movie. Kind of like moonlighting on the side and small-scale robbery, but he's not really on to her yet. You're catwomaning her. A different... <laughs> I guess I am kind of catwomaning her. Well, to be fair, she's already just a blatant catwoman rip-off anyway. Catwoman, yeah. But, like, she is a cool character. She is a cool character. Uh, and uh, I, I, this is another one that the game is influencing me on, for sure, where I'm like... She's got, like, little puzzles and riddles around town for him and stuff. And, like, she kinda challenges him mentally more than physically. Defeating her isn't about, like, him being agile or strong or fast enough. It's nothing to do with his physicality. If he can get to where he's going to defeat her, it's playing the chess game. It's getting two steps ahead of her plan and catching her in the act that she doesn't want you to catch her in instead of catching it in the thing that she does want him to catch her in. And, like, that chess game would be really fun for me. I give you that. So that's my that's my real one where, that we haven't seen in live action. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to see what the future will hold 
in a few years. Because I, I think we're going to get our way in this regard, where we're going to see the character shelved for a few years. And when, not if, I will say when, I'm confident we will see Tom Holland again. Oh, yeah. And when we do, he'll, he'll be an aged-up Peter a bit. And that's going to be really delightful. Yep, I think uh, as we've seen with them, they're not afraid to change his story um, or his trajectory, and I think that's his trajectory at this point is we've gotten through this part of his life. Um, You know, you've seen a lot of these, I I guess these scenarios kind of keep playing out a little bit. You know, it's similar friends, similar stakes, and as we found with any good show, if you don't have stakes or anything to lose you kind of lose your luster for it. Sure. And with Spider-Man, that's no different. Now you want to see the next part of his life. Yes. And what is that going to be? And that's kind of what we were theorizing there. So it'll this be... This has potential in such a <clears throat> patient, long-form universe as the MCU to be the longest-form, most cohesive story of any type of hero we've ever seen. Take out the super part of it. Take out the comic book hero part of it. Of any main protagonist... This has the potential to be, we're talking about by the time, it, like, if if we get the, if we get our way and we wind up with a few more appearances in a handful of years, and then a few more appearances where he's much older, you could have him in upwards of 12 to 15 movies by the time, it, by the time he truly hangs it up or gets killed off or whatever happens to Peter in the long, long form. Where we get to see this young man develop from a 15-year-old who admired superheroes and just thought he was going on a fun little field trip to Germany into the most iconic hero we've ever watched in front of us. That's exactly correct. And that's that's the, the beauty of this whole thing is being able to even have that, that longevity um, or to even dream that big. Like, we're going to get the... I'd have never thought we were going to get... I would have never thought we would have gotten this much young Peter in my dreams, let alone the potential that we have to get mid-age Peter and older Peter down the road. Yeah. No, not at all. Nope. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I don't know that... Uh, I, I, I've always known that Spider-Man can be a very big linchpin for these groups and stuff like that um, in the comics, um, but to see the way that they've integrated him in there... And funny, too, again, without putting him in front of, you know, like, oh, we're going to, you know, Tony's dead. Now uh, Spider-Man's leading the no, Avengers. They've outside never, of his own movies, right. he hasn't been that focal. No. He's a cog, you know. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's a to- piece. He's Tony's ward in Infinity Ward. Yeah. <laughs> Infinity Ward. <laughs> uh, in Infinity War. Uh, he's Tony's ward in Endgame, essentially, just still. And then he's in Identity Crisis the next time we see him, trying to figure out what he is after Tony. Only in this last appearance is he really, like... Kind of started to find himself. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, there's no real leadership role there or anything. He's still out on his own, doing his own thing. One of the two idols that we we didn't talk about uh, in the list of people that influenced him was... The quote Nick Fury unquote that heralds him through Far From Home, and what an interesting rewatch Far From Home is. Oh, it's knowing so their scrolls because it's like, man, they are just dicks to him. Yeah, they don't know what's going on. You like, can hear, 
they do not treat him like a child at all in that. And it's like, oh, that's because they're fucking aliens. Okay. Well, but they're also, like, trying to emulate Nick Fury. Sure. And, like, they're they're like, like, nobody hangs... You can hear, like, nobody hangs up on Nick Fury or nobody doesn't answer Nick Fury's calls and he's, like, kind of, like, stares off a little bit funny. Like... There's little things all throughout that movie that give it away once you know it. It's awesome. I love, 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 love a surprise twist reveal that you can see the traces of throughout the story upon rewatch. Yeah, it's great. Like... Twists where there's no hints along the way on rewatch are not clever to me. Mm-mm. You need you need to ha- get, have given me, however thin a chance as it is, a thin little chance at technically figuring it out along the way in order for me to be impressed that I didn't figure it out. You know, like if there's just like no hints, then it's like, oh, cool, you wrote it like it was one thing and then poof, it's the other thing. <laughs> That's not that impressive of writing. But when there's these little directorial hints and these little nods and these little cues that when you rewatch, you're like, oh, yeah, he's totally not acting like the Nick Fury I've come to know. Oh, Maria did just call him Nick. Like, oh, these weird, like, just a handful of little things. But they all play out. They all play out. And speaking of played out, we've now been talking for damn near two hours, my friend. We are played out. Yeah, I mean, in fact, we've been talking on recording for two hours and 17 minutes, but the first 23 minutes of this file are uh, sound check and all that. So this conversation about one Peter Parker is coming very close to the two-hour mark. To be expected. To be expected, for sure. Um, And I'm grateful it did because I love talking about our boy Tom and the character he portrays better than anyone ever has, Mr. Peter Parker. Uh, you know, it's actually my second Peter Parker. It's not Andrew, and it's not Toby. It's, in fact, Jake Jones, hmm. who voices him in Into the Spider-Verse. Yes, we didn't talk about Spider-Verse enough, but we did talk about No Way Home, which is... Well, this is, was a Peter Parker-centric yeah. thing here. No, so I we, there wasn't like I did say Spider-Pig at the beginning. Yeah, but we did. And, uh, yeah, voiced shouts by my Spider-Pig. favorite character. Yeah, shouts Noir Spider-Man and shouts Spider-Pig. Uh, from Into the Spider-Verse. We'll definitely do a deep dive on Into the Spider-Verse at some point. Uh, that trailer looks sweet. It's going to be super sweet. super excited for the sequel. Holy shit, am I excited for that sequel. It's the one movie that you'll probably find yourself, if you love it, convincing somebody to watch one time and then being really proud when they really love it, even though everybody should. Yeah. And they, you don't give it a chance because it's, you know, the animation or whatever. A, you're really missing out on the animation. Yeah, the um, animation B, really is special, but you're, B is... You're, you're missing out on a story that I've seen people that I don't even think would ever consider watching a movie like that, and they just fall in love with it. Like, it's a perfectly written Spider-Man story, and honestly, it's, like, number two on my list, um, which... <laughs> yeah. yeah, it might be the best Spider-Man movie ever made. It, it, it might be. Uh, in 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 the Spider Verse, <clears throat> really special stuff, and we'll do a deeper dive on that some point in the future. And if we think we can talk about it in the future as well, if we think that there's room for these universes to collide, because I think there is, but I think it's really hard to pull off. I I think as much as our desires are there for it, it's really difficult to stick the landing on it. Yeah, it could just 
turn off or turn out to be some kind of like Roger Rabbit kind of thing going on. Yeah, I don't think well, you want that. Well, and I, and I, cause I, in my head, I don't picture it as like, I don't think they'd go that route where there's like one animated character and they're in the real world or vice versa, where there's like one real person and they're just like in the animated world. Like, I don't think they'd do that angle of it. I think it'd be like either an animated version of our Tom Holland or a real life version of, of that Miles Morales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But either any of the ways could be interesting, but would be really murky. Yeah, definitely. But we want to thank you so much for listening, everybody. Make sure to hit the follows and the likes and the subscribes. Hit those five-star reviews if you're feeling froggy, if you're feeling generous. I like his We're out here, like, just loving those five stars. Mike does a little, like, jig in his seat when he sees those five stars. He kind of, like, does a little boogie, mm-hmm. little dad dance. Because we're, like, I'm not a dad. He is a dad. But we both dance like dads, for sure. We're both we're both dad dancers. Always have. Yeah. And, uh, always have, yeah. Even when we were wee lads ourselves. Yeah. Up in middle school dances, throwing in some, uh, like, cabbage patches and stuff. Like, getting down on the get down with the dad moves. Talking about getting awkward, yeah. And no, we'll absolutely. get down on the get down with the dad moves for all of you as you hit those five star reviews out there because we greatly appreciate them. It's been so much fun talking about Peter Parker, talking yeah. about sweet, sweet Tom Holland. You can just tell we love this one. What a what a time! And what a time! Just it's so much fun to talk about research. It's like the the research for this is getting to watch some of my favorite movies. So. Yeah. And it's wild because in the past we've talked about when we do some of these character dives, taking like phase by phase through the stories. And I think what I've just discovered tonight, and I'm going to let all of you in behind the curtain a little bit, listeners there, what I've discovered through this conversation tonight is it really is more fun to just take their arc as a whole. Yeah. Because you can really appreciate the step-by-steps of each individual pivot point in a character in certain ways. And what a journey we get in the Peter Parker arc of a short span. And I think people kind of, or at least it's what I kind of picked up so far, that people haven't really come to terms with yet, is that this very well may be your last time seeing Peter for a while. Good while. And that, you know, that was more final than it seemed to be. Um, You know, that's not a story that Marvel's going to be like, by the way, next year we're introducing something about Spider-Man. They're not. Spider-Man 4! Yeah, they're not. Um, That's not going to happen. So if it does, believe me, I I won't be mad, but it won't. Oh um, yeah. So yeah. I, I too will watch whatever they make spider related the second they make it. But I do think and hope they're shelving it for a few years. And it it is very very much as I equated earlier, this is like endgame to the Infinity Saga. This is a conclusion to a saga up for this hero. To the, there this is a definitive bookend to this sixth film story arc of this character that is and this is the bookend to your episode the morons of the multiverse yes it is and with that note i'm gonna hit the stop record button right now thank you as always for checking out morons of the multiverse make sure to like follow subscribe do all those shenanigans that keep you up to date when we release new stuff We'll continue dropping new episodes every Wednesday. Also, make sure to check out some of the other cool stuff we're doing here at Good Fun Media. We have 
After the Laugh Track, our sitcom fandom podcast, dropping new episodes every Thursday, and D2B2 Sports, our sports gambling and utter shenanigans podcast, dropping new episodes every Friday. Thank you guys so much. We love you.